0: Praise God, brothers and sisters. We're really happy to finally wrap up the I Am series, and I hope you guys were very blessed by it. And like Andre mentioned, we are going to be starting the new series called Practical Christianity, and the first topic today um, is called God in Modern Society. And I'm really honored to be opening up this sermon series, and I hope you guys will all be blessed by it. And so... I once heard this from a preacher that a sermon is not something that maybe just takes a couple weeks to prepare. A sermon is not something that maybe just takes a couple days to prepare. A sermon is something that maybe takes a year, maybe takes two years, five years. Maybe the whole lifetime was spent preparing for that one sermon. And today, I feel like this word that I'm going to be speaking is at least a year and a half in the making of God putting things into my life different things happening to me, different struggles that I was going with, and I was able to make this uh, topic for you guys. And I wanted to start off uh, with a verse. This is written in 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Here, Peter is telling us that we should always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks us for the hope that is in us. We should be ready to make a defense of our faith to the people around us, and it's not only just um, it's not only just to defend it against defend it towards others, but also for yourself when you get those doubts, when you get those things coming in. And so, I wanted to talk about in my first bullet point is, where is God? And so, in the 1960s, during the Cold War era in the United States, uh, the United States and the Soviet Union were in a massive space race, and both countries spending billions of dollars in their space programs to make it there. And in, in, uh, on April 12th, 1961, the Soviet Union sends the first man into space, Yuri Gagarin. And this was a huge victory for the Soviet Union against the United States. Uh, Once once it was confirmed that Yuri Gagarin was going to go into space or he was in space, adamant atheists were coming up to Christians and saying, as soon as Yuri Gagarin goes into space, he will go up there and see that there is no God up there. And when he comes back, he will disprove you, disprove your God, and disprove your Christianity. And sure enough, when Yuri Gagarin went into space, he said, and he came back, he said, quote, I see no God up here. I'm sure those atheists maybe thought that God was maybe this old man with this long beard and he just, you know, lives in outer space. And one common question that atheists will always ask Christians is, where is your God? I don't see Him. I can't sense Him. Then He must not exist. And so, I wanted, I wanted to point something out. Everything that is created by God on this earth is affected by three things. That is time, space, and matter. This book right here this Bible is affected by time, space, and matter. The matter is that it's taking up is this, and is the space it's in is in my hands, and the time is right now that it's in my hands taking up the space. I am limited by time, space, and matter. I am right here currently taking up space with my matter at this specific time, and if I am here right now, I can't be at home sitting watching the live stream because I am limited by time to be right here right now. But the thing is, God is not limited by time, space, and matter. In fact, God is the one who created time, space, and matter. In Genesis 1-1, it says, "'In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth.'" And in that simple verse, very, very simple, you have three things. You have, in the beginning, which is time, the beginning, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. And it is very obvious to see then, if God is the creator of time, space, and matter, then he must be outside of of those three things. For example, let's say Bill Gates created a laptop. And I have this laptop right here in my hand, and I gave this laptop to someone. And they opened the laptop, they looked at it, they punched a couple keys, and they concluded that, you know what, Bill Gates must not exist. Although Bill Gates is the creator of that laptop, he is, does not physically live inside the laptop. He's not running around in behind the scenes, um, punching the programs and doing all this stuff. He's not physically inside that laptop. In the very same way, You can't look at Earth and say, because I don't see God, he doesn't exist, because God is outside of his creation. But then when you turn on that laptop, you see Windows, you see Microsoft boot up, you see all these programs that Microsoft created that all point back to Bill Gates. And then when you look at the planet Earth, you see the oceans, the sun, the moon everything around us, and all those things point back to an intelligent creator. All of those things, just like on that computer, point back to God. They are so in sync, so everything works so perfectly together that it has to be intelligently created. And like it says, like Andre read today in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. That verse literally says that because because, um, we can see God through his creation, it is clear. You can see his eternal power, his attributes, his character built all into it, and that makes us without excuse when we look at creation. And so... We see God in nature. How do we see him? We see that everything in nature is very orderly. In fact, the Bible says that God is a God of order. The sun is at such a perfect distance from the earth, or maybe the other way around. We're such a perfect distance away from the sun that we can plant tomatoes in our garden. Those tomatoes will sprout up, and they're going to have just enough sunlight, enough to make them grow, but not enough to kill them off, scorch them off. And this is just that perfect distance. And then we have um, the moon, how the moon uh, works with the tides, and then we have um, our body and how our body works together and every single natural function inside our body is working together to keep us alive. And we are so tiny here on earth compared with everything around us in space, we are flying hundreds of thousands of miles an hour through space everything's flying around us and nothing crashes into us nothing kills us nothing obliterates us just out of the out of the blue Everything has a good order to it. Also, everything that is created has beauty to it And it isn't random And what evolution will say is that we were all created by a random chance and so if we were created so random, why is there so much intense beauty? Why is everything we look at so beautiful, every structure, every molecule, so beautiful, so profound? And then I wanted to move on to, our, to my next point, is I wanted to talk about um, our society. Because we can talk about God, and this might seem to some of us like, duh, like I've heard these things growing up all my life, So many times, I know these things. And the problem, but now the problem that we face is that people around us don't even have a concept of who God is. If you go and tell someone on the street that God loves you, that will almost mean nothing to them. The question first comes in their head, who is God? Why does he love me? Why should I care? And so... If people didn't grow up going to church, if they weren't exposed to these things, these are almost like blank statements to them. And it is very hard for Christians to understand this because we've been around this all our lives and we've been just just saturated with the Bible. But imagine if a Muslim person came up to you and said, Allah cares for you. The only thing you know about Allah is that, you know, he's the Muslim god or he's the god of islam but you don't care about the teachings of the quran you don't care about allah you don't care about any of these things allah means nothing to you and then that's the same way for the world when we say god loves you it doesn't register because there is no sometimes no concept of god and at one point in america almost everyone knew about god everyone had an understanding in the 1950s uh, Bible reading was actually a routine part of the public school system, uh, in, actually in 37 states. And isn't that kind of hard to believe where, where we are right now versus where we were in the 1950s? And up until 1962, prayer was a routine part of the school system as well, when, and then it was outlawed. But slowly and slowly and slowly, God was taken out of the school system. And since that time, there has been a deterioration of morality. Morality has become subjective, as you might say. And now we live in an age of relativism. What is relativism? Relativism, relativism means that truth is different for every person. That there really is no right or wrong. That truth can really change based on culture, based on race, based on gender, and this usually comes in the form of you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe, and as long as you don't bother me, we're fine. Relativism suggests that everyone has their own truth that is personal to them. That is equal, valid, correct, and as long as that person is happy. But This doesn't work though, it doesn't. Relativism doesn't even stand up to itself. If you say every person's viewpoint is valid, every person's viewpoint is equally correct, you can't say anything, you can't offend them, you can't, how do you explain Nazi Germany? This was an entire society of people that thought that this was okay. How do you explain slavery where the entire society To them, slavery is acceptable. That's their truth, that's their lives. And how can you say that that is wrong if you believe in relativism? Relativism is just a nice way of saying, you know what, leave me alone. And just, you know what, don't question me about my truth. You know, and we've come to a point nowadays where people don't know the difference between right and wrong. They, honestly, they don't even know what to believe in. And that brings me into my next point that um, just some common objections to God. Um, one of the first common objections that I hear is there cannot be just one true religion. To say that, to say that you're right and that someone else is wrong is arrogance. And intolerant today they say you know and they they show they it's almost like um, let me give an example of what they mean Um, imagine there is a tour guide and there's three blind men following that tour guide and they're going through the Africa they're going through the safari and the tour guide stops and he lets the he lets the three blind people approach an animal and he lets them feel that animal, and that animal is an elephant. So these three blind men go up and surround this elephant, and one of them grabs the trunk. He grabs a hold of the trunk and he says, wow, this elephant, or this thing is very, okay, he says this elephant is very round and he's wrinkled. Another blind person grabs onto the side of the elephant and says, wow, this elephant is very smooth and soft. Another blind person grabs the elephant from the behind, and he grabs it by the tail. And he says, this elephant is very thin and hard. But then the tour guide is telling them, you guys are all touching the same thing. You guys just don't know it. And so this is what uh, people say nowadays is that all paths lead to God. You just don't know it because you can't see it. You guys are all touching every part of the elephant. It's still the elephant but it all leads to the same thing. But to suggest that means you're in the position of the tour guide. To suggest that means that you have your eyes open and everyone else around you is blind to what is going on. To suggest that means that you yourself contain and know the truth and everyone else who believes in religion is blind, and guess what? That makes you arrogant and uh, intolerant. And so, they say all paths lead to God, all religion is the same, but yet Buddhism doesn't even believe in God at all. Buddhism believes that life is suffering, that being in, if, you're, if you're good in this life, you'll reincarnate into something better, and that you'll get better and better, and then, you rele- and then you reach this point where you basically stop existing, because life is suffering, and the whole point is to get out of this suffering by being good. Islam believes that there is a God, but no one can personally know him. No one really knows the Allah. And the whole premise is to serve him with good works and to be a good Muslim person, you know, and you'll make it to uh, their paradise. And then all religions seem like you have to... Find your way to God. You have to do something on your own to make it to God. But Christianity is not like this. Christianity is not us coming to God, it's not us f- necessarily finding God, but it is God coming down to us. God is trying to have a relationship with His creation. We have failed God miserably and yet he did not give up on us. God sent his son to die for us because of our sins to restore us to him. And it's not based on my works, my good deals, and whatever I can do, my accomplishments that will get me into heaven, but it's because of what Christ did and we serve an awesome God for that. The next objection to Christianity is, a loving God would not send people to hell for eternity. So this is based on the false belief or the false narrative that um, God is a loving God, that God only loves, that God loves, 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 love. God is a God of love. Everyone says God is love. God is love. And it's been said so many times that it lost its meaning. It doesn't mean anything. It's a blank statement. Yes, God is love. Yes, he is good. Yes, God is a just God. And the Bible says that he is the final judge. To show God that he is a good judge and that he is a fair judge and he is a loving judge, I just wanted to look at our own, our own law system, our own government system that we have. And so we were all born into the American government, most of us, some of us immigrated from other places, but whenever we came here, we're subjected to the laws that govern this land. Everyone who lives here is subjected to the law. We did not choose to, we did not choose to be born or be taken into, the, into this law, but now we are here. And these laws are actually there not to hurt us, but they're actually there to protect us and to protect others, you know. There's a speed limit down this street right here, you know, it's probably like 35 miles an hour. If I decide to go hundred miles an hour down that street because I wanted to, it would probably be kind of fun if there was no laws. I could go hundred miles an hour. But then I'm endangering myself and I'm also endangering others. Imagine crossing the street in a world where everyone's trying to go hundred miles an hour. It would just be chaos, there would constantly be wrecks, and it would be impossible to live that way. So there are laws that are in place to protect us. You can't steal from someone, you can't murder someone, and those laws try to keep us safe. And when people break those laws, they have to go before a judge. And imagine a person that is on trial and he is being charged with murder, he is multiple accounts of murder, he is being charged with rape, He's being charged with torture of another human being. And this person stands before that judge, and that judge just lets him go. You're free to go. Like, no, just, just don't, don't even like stand there. Just leave out the courtroom. You are free to go. You can imagine that there will be riots. There will be anger. There will be so much frustration and so much just chaos at that judge because he let someone that's guilty go but if that same judge gave that person that murdered and he gave that person life in prison or even worse for his crime he gave him the death penalty for the long list of crimes he committed then people wouldn't actually be mad at that judge. They would be like, he's actually doing his job. He is being a good judge. He is keeping us safe. And so you can imagine God as that judge. God is giving the the person the punishment for his crime. There is is the law that we were all put under, just like we have laws... um, In the United States, God has His laws, too. And we were born into those laws. And and when you break the laws, you deserve punishment, just like in our legal system. And the problem is that we broke every single law. We broke the laws, and we are all guilty. And you know what? God would be good even if He sent everyone to hell because we deserve it. God would still be a good judge. Can you guys think of that? He would still be good if he sent every single person to hell for breaking the law. But we see God, God is not like that. The God of the Bible wishes that, it says that none should perish. He doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He doesn't want anyone to go to eternal suffering. It saddens him to watch people go to hell. And God, through Jesus Christ, made it possible to be justified before the judge, before God. God, to be found not guilty, that is awesome. And the last point, the last objection that I have to Christianity is uh, that science has disproved Christianity. And some people will say, you know what? We needed religion back when we were, you know, cavemen, back when we were dumb, back when we didn't know anything, and when we didn't know so much. Um, it, God and religion worked for us. But now, since we know so much more, God doesn't even fit into our heads anymore. Because we have discovered so much through science, through technology, and though all those things have come so far, we don't need God anymore. And it's almost as if every time that humans have discovered something, uh, discovered something new, And what we do is we put the person's name behind the person that discovered it, right? As if this person discovered it, but it's almost like, oh, this person, it's almost as if in our minds, it's like, oh, this person invented it. Because we give him that name that he, like someone who uh, discovered electricity, we say that, oh, he's the one who created electricity. Or he's the one behind it. But... It's almost as if we own it because we can now manipulate nature so well, and it's almost as if we made it ourselves. But do we understand that when the person discovered electricity, he only discovered something that God put in place under the right circumstances to produce electricity on earth? He discovered something that God made he discovered something that that's part of creation and he didn't invent it and when we discover new forms of life deep sea creatures stuff in the amazon stuff that we didn't even know existed all we're doing is scratching deeper and deeper into the surface of what god has created And then when a surgeon is doing heart surgery, complex, long hours, so many staff, so many tools, so much technology to keep this person alive. Transplanting the organ, they're only transplanting that something that God has already put life into. You see, humans have not been able to make life out of nothing. They haven't been able to just make a person They've been able to clone stuff, stuff that already has life in it, but they have not been able to produce life itself. In fact, it's kind of boggling people how life even comes about. And when we do even complex surgeries, we're just literally transplanting something that God put his life into, into something else that God put his life into. And then people say that evolution explains everything and that everything came by, you know, random chance, and that um, and now we have life and everything that is around us just by, those, by that random chance. You know, there's so much order, so much detail, so much beauty in all of creation, and yet it was all by random chance. You know, and they say, We all started at the Big Bang. That's when everything in the universe, can you guys imagine this? Everything in the universe, not just our galaxy, not just the Milky Way, there's so many other galaxies and stuff that we're still discovering. Scientists are saying the universe is expanding and that all this stuff that there's multiple trillions and trillions of stars that are bigger than our sun and everything here on earth, it was all just condensed and condensed, everything. Condensed, 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 condensed. Until it, they say, until it became smaller than a period on a page. Everything in the universe got so condensed. There was so much energy behind that. And that thing started spinning. And then that thing finally exploded. And now we have the stars. We have the sun. We have everything that's around us. And then natural evolution process took over from that. Does that seem kind of crazy to you guys? That everything could fit into a tiny period. And the problem is with the Big Bang is that the Big Bang doesn't explain how everything came to be around us. The problem is with evolution is that it starts off with stuff already existing. It starts off with, there was a lot of matter and there was a lot of energy out in the solar system, out in space, and then all of a sudden, all that stuff came into a little dot and exploded. But where did all that stuff come from? Why was it there before? What was before the Big Bang? And then you listen to super intelligent scientists, very learned, very educated, and they're talking about all these theories. And, they, and these are people that have multiple years of university and so many uh, studies behind them. And they're, and they're talking about alien life. They're talking about different time dimensions. And they're talking about intelligent beings that existed before and that kind of set all this up into place. But yet, they don't want to acknowledge a God. They're willing to go to aliens to... All this stuff, but yet they're not willing to acknowledge God. And so now that I went through some of the objections to Christianity, and you know what? These objections, they not only come from the world, but we have our own set of objections inside of ourselves, or doubts, you might call them. And the next thing I wanted to cover is, what do you do when doubts come? My next bullet point is called Doubts and How to Handle Them. Doubts come and go. And I would actually say that in the Christian life throughout the years, doubts are normal. Doubts, they come, doubts, they go. Sometimes they stick around for a while, they go. And I think the worst thing that we could do with doubt is to suppress that doubt. You know, people walk around and they are scared of how people will look at them if they find out they're doubting. They are scared of people judging them if they figure out that they are walking around with doubt. And these people who are walking around with that doubt, they seem normal. They come to church. They still do all the normal things, and this goes on for months and maybe years, and then that doubt actually doesn't disappear. These people are suppressing that doubt, and what happens is the doubt doesn't doesn't disappear. It gets compounded. It gets worse. It adds on, and finally, all of a sudden, people just disappear, and you have no idea why. They just stop coming to church, and You try talking to these people and it's almost as if, you know, they are secular. They don't believe in God at all, but yet they were in church a month ago. What happened was they were suppressing the doubts. And so I wanted to say, youth, I wanted to encourage encourage you guys to never suppress your doubt. I want you guys to face it head on. I want you guys to think back. Where did my doubt start? How did it start so that I can get to the root of that doubt? And once you find out where the root is, it might take weeks. It might take months to uncover the root because you you have to go back. You have to go back maybe years. And once you find that root, I want you guys to seek for answers. Wrestle with that doubt. Don't relax until you find a satisfactory answer for that doubt. The Bible says, seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open to you. And another thing I wanted to suggest when you have doubts is to doubt your doubts. What do I mean to doubt your doubts? It might sound weird, but when you get to the root of that doubt, and this doubt could be just soul-crushing, just draining doubt that takes everything literally out of you and constantly plagues you, I want to say doubt your doubts. You know, put it under the same scrutiny, put it under the same judgment as you would put for Christianity. Because oftentimes we, oftentimes we require a lot more proof for Christianity but we don't require proof for other things in life, other things we consider normal, other things we consider, oh, that's, that just is because it is. But we require so much proof for Christianity, but not a lot of proof for the other things. So grab what you guys, what is that doubt, and test that doubt. How does that doubt stand to the same scrutiny that you put your Christianity under? Challenge those doubts. And if you do everything, literally everything, and you still cannot get rid of doubt, ask God for his help. There once was a man who came up to Jesus and was asking Jesus for, um, for him to heal his son. And the man says to Jesus, Jesus, I believe that you can do this, but Please just help my unbelief. Jesus did not judge him. Jesus did not send him away. He did not cast him away. But Jesus blessed that man. Jesus did what that man asked him to do with just that little bit of faith that that man had. Dear youth, Jesus will not cast anyone out who will come to him. He won't. Jesus is loving and he will take you in as his own son, the Bible says. If you accept him and make him Lord and Savior of your life and God, he will accept you and he will work with you and he will change you. He will put the Holy Spirit in you. And in these moments when these doubt seems so real, so soul-crushing, run to God and ask God, Open my eyes because right now I can't see what is in front of me. I can't, I can't see Christianity. I don't believe these things right now. It's so hard. I, I see everything else around me, all these ideas. There's constantly, constantly things going through my head all the time. God, how can you be real? Ask God to open your eyes, and God will open your eyes. If you seek Him, you seek for those answers. God will open your eyes. And I wanted to just... I wasn't going to share this this uh, personal testimony, but I, I guess I will. Um, this is just something that's been happening to me for the last maybe year, year and a half. and I've, I've been serving in the youth for a couple years already. I've been serving in other areas in church, and I started getting doubts, and I didn't share those doubts with people. I didn't talk to those people, and what happened was it got worse, and it got compounded, and basically what happened is I felt like my Christianity was just falling apart. The place where I served the most, the place where I love to go, it it seems like I wasn't accepted there anymore, And then it seemed like God was still working with me. God was literally, he answered all my prayers that I had that year. And I basically came to the point where I'm like, God, I, you know, you answer all my prayers. What do I have to pray about? I realized how shallow my Christianity actually was. I realized how shallow my prayer life. I realized how shallow my ministry was. I realized how shallow all this approval from other people, all this approval from your peers It is so shallow and so passing away. And then there was a point where everything got broken. Everything was exposed. And I was looking at myself and I was like, what do I do from here? And I can see now that God was doing that to just break up pride in my life. God was doing that to break up the just barriers that I had. And... I started just seeking God to seek God. I wasn't seeking him for, I wasn't seeking him for what he could give me, I wasn't seeking him for approval, I was just like, God, who are you and what are you, where are you, how are you in my life? And I wanted to just share, if anyone is going through that, don't keep that doubt in, talk to someone, pray to God, seek for answers, do anything that you can do, And I trust that God is faithful to his word. And I trust that, um, like I said, that seek and you shall find. Let's pray, youth.